So if you're, if you're brand new to church or to Second Chance, this is unusual. Usually the week before Christmas, we started this last year. Cole and I take your questions. We want to talk about what, what you want to talk about. And for those of you that don't know, this is Cole Farlow. He is our student pastor. And uh, Cole and his wife, this time next year, will actually have a baby. Crazy, man. Three months. Three months. March 9th. I got a lot of people asking me that, too, so that's good. March, March 9th and it's is gonna the be due a, date. It's going to be a boy. boy. And you're naming him? We're naming him Sebastian, but we're going to call him Bash. Oh. Bash. Farlow. He's going to be a menace, I dude. love it, man. I, I think it's great. How many, though, when you hear Sebastian, you think Little Mermaid? You, anybody? Yes. Okay. That's awesome. But so, Bash. Bash. I love it. I love it. It's I good. Love it. It's Bash good. Farlow. What, what's his middle name going to be? Do you know? I don't know. Do we know yet? I don't think we know you should, yet. Perry. Bash you should, Perry. You should, no. 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 There's enough people that do that already. <laughs> I don't need a child. You should name him. Do you want to be uncle or grandpa? Grandpa. Okay. Um, what, what about Mash? Bash Mash Farlow. I love it. Anyway, so here's what we're going to do. We don't, we don't know what question is going to pop up on the screen. We have no idea. We have not done any prep um, other than just begged God all week to help us. And so, are you ready? I think. All right, here we go. First one. Ooh. You're looking at me. <laughs> you want me to start? <laughs> right under the bus. Um, this is what I'm going to say about this. I maybe this is taking it a little bit different of a direction, but sometimes I will have people that will ask me like, well, they'll say, they'll say something along the lines of like marriage is just a piece of paper, Mm -hmm. just a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And my response, I think you said this a couple weeks ago, my response to them, well, if it's a piece of paper, why not just sign it? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think the truth of questions like that, questions like this is that like when we when we don't want to commit to getting married to somebody, that's me saying, hey, I'm actually going to get out of you what I want to get out of you until you no longer provide that anymore. And I, I don't have the piece of paper that we don't have to go through all the stuff, the legal stuff to, for me to split from you. And inherently, it's a very selfish thing is I want what I want until you no longer provide it. And for me, I, relationships are meant to be selfless, completely selfless. And, and, and I said this last service, I think the thing that makes a marriage or relationship really, really great is two people that are willing to mutually submit to each other and say, hey, I'm going to give up myself for you and you're going to give up yourself for me and every day we're going to choose that. And so I think like with this question comes a little bit deeper of a question of like, hey, do, do I really want to do I really want to go all in and commit to somebody and sign the piece of paper? That was good. I, uh, Amen. No, that was good. I had to amen myself. I, well, sometimes you have to. Sometimes I, the, the thing with this question I always get asked is, is I always have a question for this person. Because um, I can't find you a verse in the Bible that says, do not live together. Okay? I also can't find you a verse in the Bible that says, don't smoke crack. <laughs> so, so there might not be specifics, but there's concepts. So I would just ask the question in general. When two people live together without being married, typically is sex involved? Yes or no? Yes, okay. Shouldn't have sex with somebody you're not married to. The Bible has a lot to say about that. 
So that's my usually my answer. Thank you. All right, next <laughs> next question. My partner and I um, are planning on getting married. Would Ooh. you officiate a gay wedding? No. No, I would not. And but let me explain. It, it, let me explain. Um, I don't hate people that are gay. And, and this is, for me, it's not a gay thing. There are heterosexual couples that I have met with and said, I, I and good conscience cannot officiate your wedding because I don't feel like, and this is me personally, and I might be wrong when, when I've said this in the past, but I cannot violate my conscience. Um, for me, in my best understanding of the scriptures, a Christian marriage is between a man and a woman. That is an unpopular opinion in the world that today, but it's an opinion that I've got to stand on. I cannot violate what I think the scripture clearly says. On the flip side, if somebody is gay, uh, for, I've got a lot of friends that are gay. They, I, just because somebody's gay doesn't mean they're a horrible person. I would attend a gay wedding, but I personally would not officiate a gay wedding because I feel like, according to the scriptures, a Christian marriage is between a man and a woman. And, and I, I don't, I make, you'll hear a lot of people like throw out a lot of, I make no apologies for that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm solid in that conviction. Anything to add? Yeah, I'm glad you, first off, I'm glad you answered that one. <laughs> um, I just, and just to reiterate, like, if you are, if you're gay or whatever you want to call it, um, like, we love you. <laughs> you are welcome to this church. We have gay people that come here. We know them. We love them. That's not to say, like, we hate you or we're opposed to, to you as a person. I, I think just on the marriage front, that's your answer. Right. 100%. Great. Nick, thank you for asking the question. Next, next question. How do you justify pastoring a church while having two living wives? I grew up being told this was wrong. However, I have felt very convicted about it since starting Second Chance Church. Okay. They well. must be talking about you because I only got one. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Well, you want to go there? Let's go there. Oh, he stood up. No, I'm... This is, I'm standing up because this is something I wrestled with. When I got divorced, for those of you who don't know, I've, I've been divorced. It sucks. It absolutely sucks. But I've been divorced, and I, for the longest time, thought that I cannot be a pastor because I've been divorced. Um, and, and I've had several scriptures thrown at me. Um, the one where Paul says, the husband of one wife and that's what this is referring to. By the way, just, just so you know, according to my best understanding and interpretation of scriptures, I have one wife. Her name is Shannon Noble. That's my wife. Um, second thing is people say, well, you know, in Malachi, it says God hates divorce. And I'm like, congratulations, you know a verse. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, because it lists six or seven things that God hates. And the first thing it lists is haughty eyes, which means looking down on people because of pride. So typically people that ask this question 
are in a marriage that have never been divorced. And if you've never had to go through that, you don't understand the crap that people have, that have had to go through a divorce. You don't understand what they have to crawl through. I would tell everybody in this room, if there's any way to avoid divorce, avoid it. But the way that I justify being a pastor is very simple. I'm called. I know I'm called. There's not a doubt in my mind that I'm called. And, and divorce, was, divorce was, is a sin. It's not the unpardonable sin. God has forgiven me. It's under the blood of Jesus, and I have moved on. And I hope you can. And if, by the way, if you're convicted, I get it. I'm not mad if you would have to leave this church over that. I'm just telling you, I know that I'm called, and um, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. It's good, man. Thanks, man. I love it. These are some spicy questions. These are spicy. This is a spicy service. All right, next one. How can I look away from temptation when I'm addicted to that temptation? I've tried for a year to look away, but I still came back. Please help me figure this out. This is obviously pornography. I would guess. Yeah. I would assume. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we talked a little bit about this last service. It's just addiction in general. And usually, especially when young people come to me and say like, hey, uh, for example, I'm, a, I'm addicted to porn. I can't quit looking. Um, my, my first response is usually this, is who is the person in your life that you would, you would least want to to find out about it. Does that make sense? You would not want them to find out about this the most. And then usually, especially if it is a young person, usually it's like mom or dad. And I say, go tell that person. Because what happens is, is a lot of times, you know, we talk about like confession or, or, or something like that. And, and what we do is we'll go and tell the easiest person it is yep. to tell about our problem. When, it, when they can't actually do anything about the problem for you. It's actually when we go and, and we tell the person with authority in our life to do something about it that we can actually start to move forward in that. And so I, I always say the first step is find the person that can do something about it in your life, even if it's terrifying. God calls us to have courage and tell that person. And then after that, like I'm a big believer in counseling. I'm a big believer in community. I'm a big believer in, in, in honesty and all those things. And I think when it comes to addiction, the first thing, though, is I have to be honest with the person in my life that can do something about it. To add to that, um, you got to want. you got to want to stop. Like, you got to want to stop. It doesn't matter if it's pornography or, um, and man, I mean, I'm 51. Those of you that are around my age, especially guys, when we were kids, it, it was hard to be addicted to porn. You had to lie in the, in the sleazy gas station to get the magazine, right? I mean, it's, today's world is crazy. It's, it's insane, and it's one of those things, Nicole said, you get, it's, it's, it's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing conversation if you want to overcome addiction with anything. So this is great, Cole. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Next question. My 13- and 15-year-old sons lost their father and I don't know the words to say to them, how do we contact you for individualized spiritual guidance or especially difficult time we're going through? Oh, my gosh. This is, this is a – first of all, whoever sent this question in, my heart goes out to you. I lost my mom when I was 11. And when you lose a parent at a young age, um, first of all, you, sometimes you don't have the words. And as a parent, sometimes saying, I don't know, and I'm wrestling with this too, is exactly what your child needs to hear you say. 
um, the, the, the thing about this church, the reason this church operates the way it operates, and I think we operate very efficiently, is because we have people at this church, we have a, we have a care team. And when I say we have a care team, that means I've got a group of people in this church, we have a group of people that, that do ministry like this, and they do it better than me. I promise you, if I was in bad shape, I would not go to me for counseling. I would not. In fact, I go to other people. And so I would tell you, if this is you, if you'll send us an email. Um, Michelle, what's the email address? Is it care at secondchance.is? Prayer. Prayer? Send yes. it to prayer at secondchance.is. It'll go straight to Michelle Reedy. Michelle, would you just raise your hand? Michelle is over our, she's amazing. our care team, our prayer team, and she's absolutely a rock star volunteer. And if she doesn't know, if she doesn't, if she doesn't, if she doesn't deal with it directly, she knows the people to put you in touch with that can help. And that's one of the things that our, the, the, our church thrives because I don't do everything. We do everything. And so to the person who sent this in, first, I'm, I am sorry. It's incredibly difficult to go through that this time of year. But if you'll email us um, at, and, and let us know the, how to specifically contact you, we will, we'll, we'll be in touch with you by the end of the day. Great. Love it, man. Next question. Wow. wow. Jinx. How do you take it slow in a romantic relationship? If it's your ex-husband, do you still need to take it slow? Huh. I'll <laughs> See you, man. Let's uh, pray and get out of here. I'm just messing with you, man. I'll, can I start with this yeah, one? Yeah, please do. I, here, so this is, again, I, I, I kind of filter things through the lens of, like, I do ministry with middle schoolers and high schoolers, and obviously our goal is for them to hopefully take their relationships slow. Um, but I, I, I always kind of like, I go by this, I don't know what to call it, philosophy that like, because for, for us as Christians, we think like, you know, I'm going to grow my relationship in, in every area, but the sex category, I'm supposed to keep at zero, right? Like that's what we've been told. That's what we, you know, we believe is right. Like you don't have sex before marriage. But what happens is, you know, we grow these relationships, the emotional parts and the spiritual parts and all these other parts of our relationship to the point where they're, they're like, we're so intimately connected in those ways that it's, it's almost, it makes it so much harder for us to like say no to the physical aspect of it. And so actually this might be unpopular, but I actually tell young people, be careful about like praying with your boyfriend or girlfriend, because that's, it's such an intimate thing between two people to, to, to share with each other that it actually a lot of times leads to the physical stuff having to catch up or like sharing, like being so deeply emotional with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, again, it, it kind of pulls that physical side uh, uh, of the two people closer together. And so I think if you really want to take it slow, I, I actually would go against the grain. I'd say be careful about like praying with your boyfriend or girlfriend or doing some of these very non-physical intimate actions. Does that make sense? Now the husband thing, I, I have no idea. You can take that part. 
So for me, just as somebody who's been married in the past two years, I'm just just lots of time in public. You want to take it slow? Lots of time in public. Lots of time in public. Now, we're South Carolina, so that's still a thing. If you're in San Francisco, dear God, I mean, who knows gonna, what's going to happen. But, like, lots of time in public. Nobody's getting freaky in public. I mean, I'm just saying lots of time in public. Lots of that, – that, that's a very practical answer. And if it's your ex-husband, man, I, I guess that's awesome. Y'all probably need to figure out if it's this is what is like God wants. And if it is, y'all just need to go ahead and tie that knot. Yeah. Then it's not a problem. Right? We'll I'm, do it like right before here, right marriage, now. before marriage, before marriage, hands off. After marriage, you get Pentecostal, speaking in tongues, laying on the hands, and blah, 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 blah. anyway, so there, there we go. All right. Let's Praise the Lord. Amen. Get some Gatorade, make up for lost time. All right. Next question. Some, oh my gosh. Somewhere in the book of Revelation, it talks. About 30 minutes of silence when someone gets to heaven. Guessing it's before all the women get there. Oh, my gosh. Shame on you. That's amazing. Maybe we need to cancel the Q&A thing, dude. I have nothing to do with these. I had no idea. I... <laughs> It's a fascinating, I've never seen the book of Revelation that way. That's the first time that passage has ever really made sense. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, don't, I don't know. Let's go to the next question. I, wow. Next question, please. <laughs> Hurry. What would you say to an adult who knows they were created in the image of God but is experiencing severe gender dysphoria? Is God mad if they get gender affirming care uh, so uh, this is how i would this is how i i kind of go about this conversation it's somebody that has has battled alcoholism before that it's been in my family as well i would say that i was or people like me have are born with a tendency towards that and i think science has pretty much proven that that is that's a real thing um does that make it okay for me to just be an alcoholic no. Does that, right? We would agree on that? I, I think the same thing kind of goes here is like just because I always say you can't, people love to like trust their feelings and, and feelings are, are great slaves and terrible masters. I heard, I heard a pastor once say is when we let our feelings actually decide the decisions we're going to make in our life, usually that person ends up in a mess. You can't always trust your feelings. And I would say the same thing with this. Now, do I believe gender dysphoria is a real thing? I, I do. I really do. And I think people actually experience that. And what was the question again? Is God mad? No, I don't think God is mad at you. I would say um, th this is, first of all, for the person that asked this question, thank you for having the courage to ask the question. I'm, for sure. I'm, I'm super thankful that you felt comfortable enough to express that. Um, you are created in the image of God, and gender dysphoria is right there, and this is your word, and I'm not mad, I'm just saying this is your words, gender dysphoria. That is listed as a psychological issue. So in the question, there's a confession of a psychological issue. 
and, and, and I get that because it is a psychological issue. Is God mad if they get gender-affirming care? Let, let's let's kind of take those three words um, because I, I, I understand the way that those words are said, but just as somebody who, who just views things a little bit differently, I don't see it as gender-affirming care. I personally view it as gender mutilation. And, and so that's, that's, and that's an issue. That's an issue. It, age is very important. It's, it's amazing to me that a 14-year-old can't get a tattoo, but in some states they can get gender-affirming care which is something they're going to have to live with for the, I mean, they can transition back, but it, the whole thing gets complicated. I would echo what Cole said. We are, we are all born with a natural inclination to do things that we shouldn't do, um, which just reminds us of our need for, for Jesus and our, our desperate need for him on a daily basis. That's good, man. Next question. How do I get my husband to come to church with me? He is very iffy about church and God, but recently accepted Christ. In, amen. But recently accepted Christ in his life, but said he only did it that because I was there and to make me happy. <laughs> well, here's what's funny. If he accepted Christ, I mean, if he really accepted Christ, um, it... I, I think if he told you that, he, I, don't, I don't believe him, but that's just me. Um, and if he's here, – here's the deal. Um, if you go home and tell him that and say, did he call me a liar? Just tell him yes, and if he has a problem with it, come see me. He, I'm here every Sunday at 9, 15, 11, and 5 o'clock. That will get him back in church, all right? Um, I, I would honestly say don't nag him about it. Just ask him does he want to go, and if he doesn't want to go, don't. Go fine, you know, going to hell, going to bust it. What? Don't no no no, <laughs> passive aggressive comments. If he doesn't want to go, he doesn't want to go. Um, but here's the deal: he he's the only one that knows if he if he met Jesus or not. And if he and if he did, he'll he'll be here. He'll show up. Just give him time. Yeah, I really I, questions like this are, are hard because the answer is in theory simple, but really hard to do in practice. Because the answer is really like, there's nothing you can do but, lo but love well. And like, there's always these questions of how do I get my friend or my family member or my husband or wife to accept Jesus and come to, come to church and, you know, fellowship and all this stuff. The, really, at the end of the day, all we can do is choose to love. And that's what Jesus asks us to do, is to love well, and he'll take care of the rest. And so, again, like, it's easy to say, hard to do, but that's the truth. It's so true. And, and by the way, just another thing to tell him is like, hey, Christmas is Jesus's birthday. Could you just come this one? Just use that and see if it works. All right. We're going okay. to a birthday party. Next week. Next, I mean, next question. Next week. I hear about monetary support to churches in Africa from Second Chance. However, I would like to ask what mission work does Second Chance do locally other than the children's program? I've never heard this mentioned. Oh my gosh. This is, I didn't know this was coming. This is great. Whoever sent this in, thank you so much. Uh-oh, he's I standing appreciate again. This. No, I, I love it when people ask about, about what are we doing about missions? Because number one, I've never met a person that's asked this question that's actually doing something personally about missions. 
And I'm 51, and I could meet you, and if that's you, praise God, you will be the first. But what are we doing about missions locally? Here's the answer. Church. We do church. If we can't reach Anderson, why in the world would we think we could reach the world? When Jesus said in Acts 1-8, he gave the commission to the apostles. He said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. A lot of churches are doing really good with the ends of the earth, but they neglect Jerusalem, which is their hometown. So far, to date, I believe we're closing in on 900 salvations in this church this year. Show me... Show me a mission organization that's making a difference like that. Missions is Sunday morning. Missions is what's going on in the children's program. Mission, see, because what's going on over there, to kind of sideways dismiss that is an insult, number one, to our volunteers, and number two, to our children's team, because at the end of the day, many of us know if we would have had church like that growing up, we wouldn't have done some of the stupid things we did because Jesus would have put an anchor in our heart so deep that if we walked away, we wouldn't have been able to walk far. Am I right? So at the end of the day, every single Sunday is a mission. Every single weekend is a mission. Every single Wednesday night is a mission. And Anderson, South Carolina is the place that God has called us to reach first. And when we start reaching Anderson, South Carolina effectively, then we'll do Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And by the way, that church plant that we started in Africa is blowing up and we're still continuing to support that. So that's, that's anything. I, I just would say like, if we're really doing our job well with, with what we're doing here, I, I just see in our future, like, there are people still that are going to come to this church, meet Jesus for the first time, and what he's going to ask them to do is go go somewhere. Like, start a missions organization. Go feed the homeless somewhere. And, like, I think if we do really well with what we're called to do here, that there are people, even maybe in this room, that Jesus will call you to go start to start some sort of mission organization or ministry or some something of that sorts. And so I think as an extension of the ministry that we get to do here, that stuff like that actually comes as a secondary effect as well. Good. Yeah. That's good. Awesome. Next question. Is it appropriate for a presidential candidate to assert personal religious beliefs on the campaign trail? Absolutely. Yeah. Why not? Absolutely. Here, here's, the, here's the reason this question is is so um, controversial. People think that politics and religion should be separate. Here's the problem. Jesus did not die on a cross so he could be a part of our life on Sunday. When we ask Christ into our life, we are confessing Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Christos. Jesus is Lord. When we confess Jesus is Lord, that means he's Lord over everything, including what we think about when it comes to life, politics, how we vote, we submit that to Jesus. And so at the end of the day, I want to know what a presidential candidate, I want to know what he feels about Jesus, where he or she is in their relationship with Jesus. I want to see if they're living it out. It, it's Listen, we've got social media now. There's not a lot of hiding like people used to be able to do 30 and 40 years ago. So is it appropriate? I would say not only is it appropriate, I think it's essential that people are vocal about whether they have a living, active faith or whether it's like, I think we need to know. I, I don't think you can separate politics 
and religion. And please don't hit me with separation of church and state. It's not in the Constitution. I'll give you $10,000 cash if you can find it in the Constitution. Some of you today will go home and read the Constitution for the very first time. I mean, time. I, I might. It's not in there. I want that 10K, man. I, I'm just saying, I got 40 million somewhere, so I just find 10K. Anything to add to that, Cole? No, I mean, just very simply put, like, I, me personally, as, as somebody that follows Jesus, I would want the leader of our country to be fully submitted to Jesus as well. That's, that's who I'd vote for. I, I'm, I have a hard time pastoring a church. I can't imagine leading the country. I thought about running for president. We've talked about this before. I would, but I would do it because I would want to ride on Air Force One. That's the only reason. See, I, would, I just want to know what's in Area 51, and then, and then I'll resign. That's it. Thank you, man. We're going to get a question about that next. All right, <laughs> next question. How can I stop feeling lonely? I've sought validation in ways I shouldn't have and feel lonelier. I pray about it all the time and just want to be married and have a husband, but it's like God is isolating me and no one sees me. Dibs. I want this one. Do it. I would hear, it's so fascinating to me, and I've seen this happen so many times, is people, and maybe, maybe you wouldn't say it this way, but there's this, this foundational belief that, that people have that say marriage will complete me. And what's so interesting is these people that have this, this foundational belief in their lives, they get married and it, it fixes nothing. In fact, a lot of times it gets worse. And so I would, I would ask this person, how connected are you to Jesus? And that sounds a little cliche, but I, I think when you truly, truly know him, and you truly know him, and you're spending time with him every single day, and he's talking to you, you're talking back, it's, it's hard to feel this emptiness, and, and whether it be loneliness or, or whatever it be. And I, I think it's through that that, we re, that that hole gets filled in our lives, and, and we have to understand, like, marriage will not complete me. Marriage is awesome. But I think the best marriages are, are two people that go into it already completed because they love the Lord. Truly. Yeah, that's good. By, by the way, I said bam. I said bam. Just so you know, because I know that what that probably looked like off mic. Um, <laughs> no, he didn't. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Great answer. I don't have anything to add. That was good. Thank you, that sir. That's good. Thank, next question. Next question. Let's go. Yo, I smoke weed. Uh. Okay then, yo, I smoke yo, weed in I the smoke. upstate, and I get like very judged by it for fellow Christians. I consider my faith to be strong, and I've never felt like weed was distracting me from God. Why do others feel that it does? Also, why do people like over thirty like call weed pot or dope? It needs to stop. <laughs> Did this person smoke before they asked the question? Yes or no? 100%. <laughs> we will call weed weed. We will not call it pot. We will not. Listen, when I was growing up, I was growing up, pot or dope meant weed. That's what it meant. Um, yo, You're answering weed. this one, dude. I'm out. So it's interesting. Um, I, had, I actually had somebody ask me this between services the last service. I'm going to tell you it was. Um, but as somebody asked me, and, and here's, here's my answer. So, so put, putting cards on the table, I've never smoked weed. Now, I've bagged it. I've sold it. I've, tra- not, not recently, um, but 
trying to raise some money for the church. I'm just trying to say. Um, before I knew Christ, I, 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 did, I did do some dabbling in that industry. Um, this is what I would say. This is what I would say because people ask me about drinking and drinking alcohol and smoking weed. You can drink alcohol and not get drunk, but you cannot smoke weed and not get high. That's a fact. And, and my question is, if that is something that you're constantly pursuing, what are you trying to escape? Now, somebody, this is, and this is a very common argument. Well, it comes from the earth, seed-bearing plants. And so if it comes from the earth, it must be good. Well, there are mushrooms that come from the earth that kill you. Not everything that comes from the earth is, is good for you. So I, this is, this is like, if you smoke weed, I have zero judgment in my life for you. I'm just saying that I've, I've been in that world. And people that constantly pursue that path, it, it goes really bad eventually. That's what I, but judgment, I don't, I don't, I mean. Yeah, I mean, listen, like, I don't smoke weed either, by the way. Um, it's good to know. <laughs> we, we didn't drug test before I came on staff. Um, here's, a, here's the underlying, there's always like, when you ask questions like this, there's always an underlying sort of question that, that I would kind of ask back, I guess, is like, what are you trying to escape, you know? Right. Like, I, I think whatever it be, it could be food. It could be, it could be any, we can, you can get addicted or, or form a habit around literally anything. And I, I just would always ask the question, like, what are you trying to escape? Like, what, what feelings or what reality do you, are you trying to leave that you don't want to address in the first place? And so, I don't know, I always go with questions like this, it's, it's hard, but I always go back to the question, like, is it wise? Is it wise? Is it beneficial and wise for my life? Am I, go, am I getting closer to God when I'm high? Again, I don't, I don't get high, so maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. Cole, <laughs> have you ever smoked weed? I have tried it before, yeah. yes. <laughs> long time ago, long okay. time ago. I, just, I mean, I was just asking. I mean, I know the people we got coming here. You, I mean, probably got a hit in the lobby. I have no idea. All right, Why are you question. doing that to me, man? Come on. I'm sorry, man. I just had to know. Next question. Why do so many of the band members only attend church if they're on stage? You can have this one. I don't. Really? Okay, hold on for a minute. I'm calm down for a second. Let's just calm down for a second. The Bible says, "In your anger, do not sin." I'm going to be honest, that question, makes me, that question makes me a little angry. So let me calm down. Who are you to take attendance? Like, who are you to take attendance? Really? You're going to sit up here and, and, and judge these men and women that get on stage and give it their all every single week? How do you know they're here or not here? By the way, Kennedy and her husband, Tyler, they live in California. So on the Sundays, they're not here. They're in, like, California. Leading in another Bethel. church. 
And I, I, the, the reason I, I kind of get a little uh, about this is because at the end of the day, by the way, they're here three services. So while they're not on stage right now, and, and, and for the ones that are not in the room, they're sitting in a room listening to this message right now. So they get like three messages. So I, I just, I'm going to say this in love, but I'm going to say it in, in just very, very, I'm just going to say it. How dare you ask this question? Show up every week. Start volunteering, and you'll be less focused on what other people are doing. We'll do three more. We'll do three more. We'll do three more, and that's it. Three more, and that's it. We'll kind of answer them quick, all right? How do you raise God-loving children in a split home? I don't know. No, I'm in the middle of this. All I can do is my part. I, I don't have a lot of parenting advice. If I ever write a parenting book, it'll be how to assure that your child needs therapy when they grow up. That's the one I could write. Um, you're responsible for doing your part. And here's the other thing. You're also responsible for not tearing down your ex-spouse in front of the child. Because when you do that, you undermine their authority. So if you talk about how bad their father is or how bad their mother is in front of the child, you're literally robbing them. At the end of the day, you might not like them, but it's going to take both of y'all to raise that child together because y'all brought the child in the world together. So I would say, I would say do, your, do your best when you have time with them and don't speak negatively about their mother or their father. It might be your ex-husband or wife, but it's their mother slash their father. It's awesome. All right. Two more. Two more. I hate it. Murder. Can I speak about this? Well, yeah, I got, I got a couple. I, it's very interesting to me. I, people have a tendency to have a, opinions and thoughts on things they've never walked through before. We, Addie and I, have, we have somebody in our family that was raped. They were raped. And got pregnant from it. I'm, like, I'm not joking. Full, like, raped and pregnant. And because I, I've walked through this with a very close family member in my, I feel like I have the grounds to actually speak about it. This woman had this baby. And I, when this baby came into our lives, she was one of the, the best blessings that we could have possibly received at that time in our lives. She's beautiful. We love her to death. She's amazing. She's, what, six years old now? She's incredible. Her name's Nora, and we love her so much. She's a part of our family. Was it harder for us? Yeah. But when in life was anything ever easy worth doing? So I, it's, it's, it's really hard for me to sit there and listen to people say, well, what if you're raped? Well, what if God can actually do something beautiful out of a bad situation? I. Uh, This hits very close home to me because, um, and, and I'm not saying something that she hasn't made very public, but Shannon, my wife, had an abortion several years ago. And she's, now she's the most pro-life person I've ever met in my life. I think if she were sitting on the stage, she would tell you it's something you don't shake. You don't get over it. Now, the, the people that say, what about when the mother's life is in danger life 
or, or in the case of rape and incest, that is less than half a percent. When most people are talking about abortion, they're not talking about that. They're using it as a form of birth control. And I, according to the scriptures, it, the whole conversation comes about when does life begin? I firmly believe because of science that life begins at conception. When something is growing, it is, a, it is alive. And people say, I've ha heard the argument, well, until a life can sustain itself, it's not a life. Well then, according to that justification, you should be able to murder a child up until the, like, the age of five or six. And I hope I don't become your grandfather one day because I may not be able to sustain my own life. And on the other side, there's that whole, if they're old and not useful to society, let's just throw them off a cliff, right? And, and let me say this, because I know you're in this room. If you have had an abortion, this is what I want you to know as you walk out these doors. God loves you. He has forgiven you. You can walk in freedom. It's what you did. It's not who you are. And don't believe the lie that Satan said because you did that you could never have something great God still loves you he still has a plan for your life he still has a hope for your life he still has a future for your life and for those that are considering it I would ask you to please just push the pause button because there are thousands of people on this planet that want a baby but can't have one if you'll put that baby up for yeah. adoption it'll make a big difference mm. That's good, man. Last one? Is this the last one? Yes, sir. A few weeks ago in a sermon, you gave the example about the number line of Christianity, saying once you are saved, you can't ever go back into the negative. But I feel like I have messed up so much. Me too, by the way. Am I still really saved slash a Christian? Yes. Here's the deal, once you, once you pray to receive Christ, Jesus comes into your life and you have a relationship with Jesus. Um, for those unaware, uh, I had like a zero and then out to negative 10, out to positive 10, where do you stand in your relationship with Christ? And I said, once you cross, once, once you become a Christian, you can't ever become unsaved. Now, I want to pause and say, there are some godly people that disagree on this. They, believe, they don't believe in once saved, always saved. Um, but if I fell into that camp, I would pray the salvation prayer probably 15 times a day. And let me tell you why. In, in the book of Genesis, how many times did Adam and Eve have to sin before they were separated from God? How many times? One. So if one sin separated them from God, then it's logical to conclude that one sin would re-separate us from God. You say, well, that's not true. Well, then how many times? How many times do you have to sin? Five, 10, 20, 100? See, here's the beautiful thing about the story about the prodigal son. When the prodigal son walked away from the father, there was never a time that he ceased to be the father's son. The fellowship was destroyed but the relationship was always intact. So when the son decided to come home, he came back home to his father. And he didn't have to go through some sort of rebirthing ceremony. He didn't, he just had to 
reestablish the fellowship that already, because the relationship was never in question. And if you're this person, if you're the person that you feel like you prayed to receive Christ and you've walked away from God and you're not where you need to be, you're in the right place today because the prodigal son came home and was welcomed and celebrated by the father. And that's what we want to do in this church always is when prodigals come home, we want to say, what we, we want to be the place that throws a party, not points out what you shouldn't have done while you were in a far country. So I'm super thankful that this question, and I would just simply say, if you're far away, not a better day to come home. Would y'all stand and let's pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, would you do me a favor and just ask the Lord right where you're standing? Jesus, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? What do you want me to What do you want me to do with what I've heard? Jesus, that's my prayer today. God that we that we we would make room for you. Right now with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this place, I I wonder If you would just tell Jesus right now, Jesus, I'll make room for what you want to do in my life. And maybe you're here today and that that next step for you is actually praying to receive Christ. You've never asked Jesus to come in your life to be your savior. You've never given your life to Jesus and you know that's what you need to do today. I'm gonna invite you right where you stand to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life. And I'm going I'm to ask you to pray this prayer out loud, but not alone. Because our Second Chance family, we pray this out loud with you every single week. So if you need to pray and ask Christ to come in your life today, Second Chance family, let's lift this up with everybody that's going to pray it for the first time. If you need to accept Christ, you just pray it right now. Just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Take over in Jesus' name. Now, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed all over the room, if you just prayed that prayer, if you just asked Christ, into your life. I want you to do me a favor right now because I want to pray for you. I want you to put your hands straight up in the air and leave it up for just a second because I can see you, so I can make sure. Amen. Amen, sir. Amen, ma'am. I see that. Anybody else? Hands straight up in the air. Father, I want to thank you for these hands in the air. I want to thank you, Jesus, for people that just committed their life to you. Father, I want to thank you for salvation. God, I want to thank you for the questions that we got today. I want to thank you for the work that you're stirring. Jesus, I pray that right now in this room, you would stir someone's heart for you. You would stir somebody's mind for you. And at the end of the day, Jesus, we would walk out knowing that you're real, knowing that you have a plan, knowing that you have a hope, knowing that you have a future for us. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Everybody that agreed said, amen. Are you glad you came to church today? Me too. I'll see y'all back here next weekend for Christmas services.